Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the Economic and Business History Channel of the New Books Network. My name is Paula de la Cruz Fernandez, and I am a host of the channel and co-editor of the New Books Network in Español. Today, we are here to talk about an edited volume titled Handbook of Historical Methods for Management, published by Elgar Publishing in July 2023. In the description of this episode, I have left a link to all of the purchase options there are for this great volume. The Handbook of Historical Methods for Management has been edited by Stephanie Decker, who is Professor of Strategy at the University of Birmingham Business School in the UK, and also Professor of African Business History at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. Also, editor of this uh, handbook is William M. Foster, Professor of Management at the University of Alberta in Canada, and Elena Giovanni, Professor of Accounting at the Royal Holloway University in London and the University of Siena in Italy. In addition, this volume comprises a long list of authors. We hope to, I hope that we will mention at least once um, all of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, but they are also mentioned in my blog post. So, And um, the book is structured in three parts uh, with a total of 28 chapters plus the introduction. So this uh, episode will be a good introduction to this very complete handbook, which we are going to talk about today. Hello to Stephanie, Elena and Bill. Hi, Paula. Hi, Paula. It is a common practice uh, in New Books Network to first ask about the academic and education uh, background of the authors. I will make um, also a quick commercial pause here because I have had the pleasure of interviewing Stephanie Decker before, um, back in November for her great book, uh, Postcolonial Transitions and Global History, Global Business History. But please, Stephanie, uh, introduce yourself again uh, and then Elena can do it as well. And later we'll go to Bill. Thanks, Paula. It's, it's great to be back on, on the New Books Network. Um, so yeah, my background is in history. Uh, I did a PhD in, in history at the University of Liverpool, but pretty much from the beginning of my academic career, I've sort of worked in business schools. And even during my doctoral research, I was very interested in, in sort of engaging with some of the theories and the knowledge coming from the social sciences. And I think that's been um, then quite quite central to the rest of, of my scholarly research. And that's sort of what over the long run led to this handbook. So I'm quite interested in bringing historical approaches as a methodology into business management organization studies. And that's sort of the basis for the book. But I think I started out really being interested in social science theory and how that helped us do better history, um, look for more interesting aspects of uh, the source material in the archives. I think that came to some extent because um, I worked on on Africa and colonial and post-colonial history. And I think 
those sort of more theoretical approaches really help to gain a, a more critical angle in terms of the um, historical research I was doing. So I think for, for most of my research, I'm, I've really been interested in this intersection, this interdisciplinary space. And I think that's very much where this handbook is located. So I think uh, all the co-editors come at it from a slightly different perspective. All the authors come at it from a slightly different perspective. And our aim was really to create a sort of interdisciplinary space for people who are interested in that subject, but will not necessarily share the same disciplinary understanding. And that was really important for us to, to provide a sort of volume that gives a grounding for anybody interested in the subject, regardless from the disciplinary, uh, regardless of their disciplinary background, and also allow them to explore um, historical approaches to business and management in a whole variety of ways. And, and I think that's sort of what, well, the handbook could have always done more, but, but as you already said, it's quite a big book and we hope we give lots of different options. Wonderful. Elena? Thank you very much for that. Um, um, well, I have a different background compared to Stephanie. Uh, I'm professor of accounting at Royal Holloway University of London at present, but we I will be soon moving to Birmingham Business School from 1st August, so in uh, very, very soon. Um, and as I said, professor of accounting, so uh, different perspective. Uh, but I have been always interested in exploring accounting as uh, a social and institutional practice, so a practice that is fully intertwined with uh, social, spatial, material, historical dimensions of organization and society. And I have been interested in exploring accounting history, so the origin of accounting as a technique, so the origin of double entry bookkeeping and its spread uh, during the medieval age, but also its... Uh, changing the role and how it intertwined with uh, the social across a different time space context so from here my interest in history and my interest in historical research methods through an interdisciplinary approach so as uh, as a way to better understand the contemporary phenomena and uh, the nature of business management and organizing, so exploring phenomena like organizational identity, material and special artifacts and arrangements, and how all of that uh, also can shape trajectories for the future. So I think that this approach really requires the contribution from um, multiple perspectives, multiple disciplines. So this cross-disciplinarity and this collaboration is very important to to delve into the understanding of organization, society, and management uh, through historical perspectives. That's why I was so excited when Stephanie approached me with this uh, idea for the handbook. And uh, um, from here, my collaboration with Stephanie and Bill, and I have been learning a lot from them and from all the collaborators in, in this handbook. So, uh, really uh, fascinating projects. Thank you. Uh, Bill, do you want to tell? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll tell a little bit about myself. Um, uh, I'm a professor at the University of Alberta. Um, in particular, uh, I focus on management uh, and um, the uh, study of history in management, and in particular, um, history and memory and organizational memory. Um, I'm not a historian, which is, is kind of makes things a little bit different because 
Um, my interest in history is in particular uh, focused on how history can be used. There's a um, theoretical school of thought called the uses of the past. And uh, my research in the past has contributed to this. And the idea is, is that uh, we explore how organizations use history to construct a competitive advantage. This is called rhetorical history. Um, the, in the past, uh, historians, business historians, have tried to look at the past to try and determine what happened, um, who were the people involved, what were some of the different events. Um, I'm not particularly interested in that. I, I don't really care what happened. Um, what I care about is what the organization does, how they construct the history, what the processes are that go into it, what are the mechanisms that might affect the uh, usefulness of the history and its utility. So that's, that's in particular um, my background and, and how I became to be involved with this project. Um, Stephanie invited me in. We thought we, it would be interesting because uh, we haven't, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about how to research history, um, both from a, uh, a perspective of the historians who are now being forced and pushed towards uh, an investigation uh, using social science methodology. Also to, um, because the uses of the past is a newer uh, area of research, this hasn't necessarily been uh, fully explored as well. Um, in addition, I do some research on organizational memory. This brings up uh, questions about the past, but from a uh, perspective of what the organization remembers and or forgets. Um, Stephanie and uh, two other colleagues, uh, John Hassard and, and Mick Rowlandson, have, have tried to define the differences between history and memory. Um, and I've got a colleague named Diego Coriola who make, doesn't think that there is a distinction, and in fact believes that it's all memory. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle and, and um, think that there are interesting questions we can ask about both history and what that looks like, and also organizational memory, and what that looks like. So uh, in particular, um, a focus is on memory work, and um, what are some of the things that go into um, remembering in organizations and uh, remembering around organizations. Great, thank you very much. Let's just start with the book. Uh, and first, I would like you to lay out the goals and uh, new directions that you actually title like that new directions of the volume. Um, you, the editors, agree that there has been a substantial volume of theoretical and empirical research on the past, history and memory in management and organizational studies, but that there are still key challenges that uh, management research face when seeking to use historical methods in management studies, right? So, and thus, that's why this book had to be uh, published. So perhaps you can give us an overview of this history boom, right, in the field of management and organizational studies, and how this manual addresses both the baggage uh, of and methods of historians and how they uh, and how they will help or, I guess, be part of this approach to 
historical research in management? Well, I would say that with the, the, the history boom or the, the historic turn, we've seen quite a lot of publications in the last 20, probably even 30 years. But as you said, the, the conversation has moved on. And I think the important thing around the conversation is that, you know, it's not like one approach. And when you go into business and management organization studies, very often, you know, their new approach is launched and they're kind of internally consistent. I think history and historical methods in business and management are very different. And this is why we're not just leaving the handbook to methods. We also look at different approaches and conceptualizations because it's actually quite a diverse field. And then, as I said earlier, it's more of an interdisciplinary space, which means people come in with different paradigms and different approaches. So it's internally quite an increasingly diverse field. And that's maybe something that in some of the old writings is not always that clear. Um, we also felt it there was time to really update and bring more people into the conversation, which is why we wanted to do an, an edited handbook. And that, I think opens up the opportunity to kind of engage new types of research with the sort of historical approach and also widen that conversation, widen it, for example, to, to accounting, which in many ways has done a lot of historical research for a long time, but maybe hasn't been quite that engaged with some of the discussions in organization studies. Similarly, I think for international business that we have um, a chapter on, um, I think there's been a lot of different people interested in this subject but what we really tried to create was a platform for everybody to come together and have these discussions and not just go back to the the old pieces that were published and that perhaps become quite influential but also think about how we take these ideas forward into different fields and different approaches. Elena do you want to say something from the perspective of accounting? Well just to just to add that uh, um, there have been so many interesting, fascinating historical studies on a number of phenomena, materiality, dependency, identity, craft, <laughs> rhetoric, and memory, of course. Uh, so from a theoretical point of view, but where we really wanted to focus the, uh, well, the, this project for the handbook, so the, the attention now is uh, on the diversity of research methods that uh, we can engage with delve into this phenomenon, historical research methods that have a common, although the different perspectives are there and uh, uh, provide for uh, an incredible richness, there is a common background uh, linking all of them. So we can build on this shared background to, to better understand and learn from each other and uh, um, reflect on these uh, uh, different uh, tools from a, a research methods point of view we can uh, draw on to delve into uh, this uh, phenomena and the different disciplines can learn a lot from each other um, counting organization management there are many things uh, uh, that we share and uh, but that we can also learn from each other and this was the aim of the book to to uh, point to the possibilities, uh, to the toolkit uh, that is uh, available for scholars interested in historical perspectives in management. Great. So part uh, one, the first part of the book, is called uh, Perspectives on Historical Methods, Theoretical Discussions about uh, Historical Methods from Different Perspectives, uh, and has many 
key issues and concepts uh, to unpack, to be able to talk in, in one question in an interview. But um, Stephanie, since we have you here, maybe we can talk about, and you're part of this part as well, I wanted to ask you to define for an audience that um, is hearing about historical research in organizations. Tell us the history of when this turn to the archives and historical data uh, kind of emerges and where does it happen mostly? And uh, from that point, where does it go? And perhaps some of the foundational works that scholars should reference if they want to go into this uh, field? Yeah, I think that in some ways, business and management studies perhaps was a little bit more closely aligned with historical approaches, particularly some subfields perhaps used to consider history as a little bit, you know, more of a normal approach to business and management questions in the past, but that certainly hasn't been the case in the last couple of decades. And this whole discussion was sort of picked up again in a series of contributions by Alfred Kieser. Um, and there have been other people in the US kind of raising the question about the sort of humanist nature of business education, for example. And uh, a lot of these things have been picked up in a piece called The Historic Turn that was published in Business History by Peter Clark and, and Mick Rowlandson, sort of arguing that, you know, maybe this is something we need in a more structured way in, in organization studies specifically. And I think there have been a, a range of contributors over the years interested in bringing more historical research into particularly organization studies where many of these original debates took place. Um, and I would say in terms of some of the key people, we were actually really lucky to get quite a few of the key people we feel into that first part to kind of write a little bit more about where they see their, their contribution to the field and to developing the field. So Charles Harvey and Mari McLean have done a lot of work around an approach called historical organization studies. It is very closely aligned with the sort of social science methods. Um, Gabby Durapo has brought in the actor network theory and how that helps us understand how histories are being written and what are the political dynamics behind that particular approach. So that's been, um, I think, a really useful approach um, to, to better understand some of the dynamics that maybe as historians we don't always reflect upon. Um, Albert Mills and Jean Helms Mills. Mills have done a lot of work in terms of um, also promoting anti-history, but also this more kind of critical approach. Um, Canada has become one of the places where you actually get some really interesting historical research in the field. Um, uh, John, uh, Michael and myself contributed a chapter, which is really around narrative, because we sort of originally did work around the question of how should you write history in organization studies. Historians like to write narratives and organization scholars do not. And a lot of the time that appears as maybe just a simple issue of presentation, but we, we try to develop a chapter to show that building a narrative explanation is, is different from building a conceptual um, interpretation. So I think that first part's really sort of trying to trace what is sort of the history of uh, that sort of historic turn, particularly for organization studies. Um, and then the later sections, I think, widen it beyond organization studies. But I think some of the key contributions have happened there and some of the fundamental differences in how people would see that process of history writing, I think, are also evident in that first part. Um, Amon very kindly um, also contributed um, a sort of 
more post-colonial archivally based criticism, thinking about the archive as a theoretical problem, which again, I think is very specific to, to this handbook. It's not something historians would talk about that much, but it's also not something that management scholars would consider because archives for them is not the same as, you know, what, um, what, what, let's say, a management or a strategy scholar would call an archive. So we are still in part one. Uh, I very much enjoyed the chapter and I history. And um, in this chapter, the author explains that anti-history is an alternative method for studying organizations historically. My interest in this chapter, and I think the title is uh, fantastic, again, going back to titles, because uh, it captures what historians are generally trained to do when looking at original documents, uh, was that this approach emerged uh, from the field of uh, organizational uh, organization studies, right? So perhaps, uh, Bill, uh, you can comment on uh, comparing the argument by historian Kristina Lubinsky in her chapter, Rhetorical Question, I'm sorry, in her chapter, Rhetorical History, um, giving meaning to the past in uh, past and present, which also touches upon the idea of uh, interdisciplinary engagement between humanities fields and organizational studies. What have been the theoretical and methodological debates in this process of integrating history in organization thinking, uh, representations, studies, pretty much, Bill, what you were actually telling me about in your introduction? So that's a, that's a really interesting question that you asked, Paula. Um, one of the, the big differences between historians and organizational um, theorists I think is can be brought down to two things. Um, one is the idea of uh, methodology. So one of the big things is that um, social sciences uh, or social scientists uh, are engaged in what they think is scientific research. So this means that they are trying to emulate the sciences because they want to uh, ensure that their work is valid and reliable. Moreover, that there is a transparency around the steps that they've taken to uh, get to their findings. So this is one of the key things. Historians, on the other hand, um, have been more opaque around their the ways that they have come up with their findings. Um, they typically use footnotes, they typically spend time in archives, and they also typically will rely on their own expertise and um, background to support their claims. And this is how they aim to get at reliability and validity. Now, when you get to um, papers like Christina's paper on rhetorical history, you get some of the work that Gabby has done on anti-history. Um, what this then does is this sort of brings together the humanities and the social sciences. And this is really um, where we're bringing together the historian and the organizational theorist. So what you have is you have this um, focus on the humanities, which is more about trying to understand and be educated about a topic, whether it be history, whether it be English or some other of the humanities. Um, in the social sciences, it's more about trying to be scientific-like, trying to find um, arguably fact, 
facts and um, the truth about a particular subject. Um, but what you get is papers like Gabby's and Christina's are nice middle grounds with regards to both the social sciences and the humanities and that. So Gabby basically takes an interpretive method to uh, understand what goes on in organizations to try and understand how different um, people and things have an impact on how a history is told. Similarly, Christina also takes an interpretive approach when looking at how histories are used and particularly constructed in order to be strategically useful for organizations. So what we can see here is that this is a, a uh, fascinating and um, uh, groundbreaking approach to the way we understand history in that they both take uh, an interpretive approach, which is taken from the humanities, but they're using some of the methods uh, that you find in social sciences to ensure that there is validity, transparency, and reliability. Part two introduces the reader and researcher uh, interested in historical research in the various ways historical research can be conducted. It includes chapters on traditional methods, such as archival research and oral history, as well as innovative approaches such as uh, using accounting records, digital records, and multi-sensory approaches. The chapters also discuss the ontological and epistemological considerations of using historical data, sources, and practical advice on how to conduct historical research in the digital era. I thought that was very interesting and useful. Um, can you give us also an overview of these chapters um, from part uh, two, please? Yeah, I think part two is sort of a little bit the maybe the bit that people would expect from the handbook um, in the sense that this is really focused on methods and sources and what are you looking at and how are you looking at these things. And um, we wanted to have something in there that is very much about how do you go to an archive? So Kevin and Alex wrote a great chapter. They, they created their own ac acronym of CLUMOP uh, to kind of help people remember the various steps and the things to consider if people would, would want to actually visit a physical archive, archive in the historical sense, and how would you go about it? What are the sort of unwritten rules that, you know, in a history department, people may be trained in, but if you're doing historical research outside of such a department, then you really need a sort of effective guide. And, and this is what that chapter does. But we also felt it's too limited to just look at traditional archival research. So we wanted to really widen this. Um, think about different types of sources. So I think Elena can speak more towards the accounting records, but we also wanted to bring in things like, uh, as you already said, the digital, because a lot of people are now looking for more uh, recent time periods. And in fact, you know, most digital records are now going back 20, 30 years. So really we are seeing digital historical records, absolutely. And, and they have sort of different elements. Um, we also wanted to reflect on oral history because we believe that's something that is of particular interest for, for business and management. So we tried to, again, keep this very broad and also delve into things that maybe neither the historians nor the business and management scholars may expect. So multimodal methods and different types of sources. So, um, yeah, we really tried to ensure that this is where the book turns into a compendium of, of lots of different approaches.
Yeah, if I can add uh, a little bit on accounting uh, on to that. So, um, so accounting records are uh, important sources for historical uh, research methods uh, because they record, they keep track of transaction and uh, a number of aspects of uh, organization and society. Uh, but accounting is more than a source because it has been always uh, implicated with organization and society. So in the fabric of everyday life, um, it has been strongly intertwined with a number of different phenomena, including memory, uh, rhetoric, uh, the making of time, uh, and other aspects of organization and society, governance, strategy, of course. Uh, so... Uh, accounting is important, uh, exploring accounting, uh, research methods for exploring accounting uh, are important for also as a way to delve into this phenomena. Uh, and the calculative practices like accounting often work hidden behind uh, the phenomena, behind management, organizing and social phenomena. So they are, they are there, they work hidden and you don't really see them. So the research methods for delving into these practices from an historical perspective um, can be really useful to, to delve into how calculation, quantification, numbers work behind uh, what uh, we see as part of uh, markets, society and, and organization we can provide very rich insights into, into governance, organizing and management. And these are all aspects that are discussed in particular in one of the chapters by Christopher Napier, a fantastic chapter about how we can explore accounting records, both as a source of information, but also as a way to delve into broader aspects from an historical point of view. And uh, um, well, this chapter, chapter focuses more on numbers and quantification. And uh, there is another chapter I wanted to mention uh, that is the chapter on multisensory analysis um, as, uh, as a possible perspective for informing historical research. Um, because this perspective allows uh, to uh, go behind and, and go beyond uh, visual elements of the past that are often dominant in historical research to look into other elements. As I said, accounting sometimes work hidden behind phenomena, but also sounds, smells, touch, taste, uh, all senses work behind phenomena and uh, sensory experiences have always had a role in shaping power structures, affecting perceptions, movements in space, uh, control structures. So multisensory analysis can offer very interesting uh, and nuanced perspectives into different dimensions of management and uh, such as group dynamics, social status, governance processes, as they all engage with sensory experiences. So we, we have another fascinating chapter by Anna Platz on, on this. Uh, she's an historian, so again, a demonstration of how we can bring uh, different perspectives uh, into the same project uh, and point to the richness of cross-disciplinarity when it gets and it comes to uh, research methods and toolkits. Great. Uh, thank you. I am also very interested in knowing more about the technology to access this data, right? The chapter by Valeria Jacobin on, you know, 
how better technology captures more. It captures a space. It captures uh, emotional emotions, right? When when we are talking to a person, we're doing a, uh, an oral interview to, or perhaps um, also the different tools that have been um, invented to to access more of this data. And I'm thinking about accounting, like how how does that how does a researcher go into accounting records? Probably more recent, because I'm I'm guessing going into corporate records. It's the same for the 19th century or the early 20th century. You just need to put on Excel all the data that you're looking at. But already digital-born accounting records, how is that, you know, if you could uh, give us an example of some of these processes? So uh, I would say in our chapter on uh, digital sources, we are trying to sort of outline some of the similarities and differences. Um and I think while we might say it's just a different for, a different format, it's not actually just that. And it's also not just the information you find on the internet. I mean, I think the internet has kind of raised awareness for researchers how much information is out there. But uh, business and management scholars, I think, very often believe there's a series, like uh, a series of publications that publishes at the same frequency, very similar data. And that then is actually pretty similar to perhaps go into a library, but you also in the digital sphere get that kind of unstructured data you'd find in a physical archive where you may not always find a full series. You might just find letters, you might find bits of accounts, but never a continuous set of accounts or or changing standards, changing minutes. So you get that in the digital sphere as well. But again, you have a sort of analog equivalent for that, but, Actually, what we also find in the digital sphere is something for which we we haven't got previous examples. And maybe business and management and also linguistics have been much better working with these sorts of sources. Um, And that is a more network type of information. Like we focus particularly on email, even though not that many email archives are accessible. Um, But we think in the future that will likely change. But it's also because email is a bit of a model for the forms of communication that comes later. Things like Teams or Slack chats. Um, Twitter conversations. So that's a form of communication that is a much briefer than your old correspondence because it's very immediate. So it's a little bit more like a telephone transcript where people kind of, each individual piece of information doesn't tell you very much, isn't much context. The context comes from the information exchange. Um, And this network nature also means that audiences or participants to the conversation can change. You know, if you put somebody into the BCC of an email or if you forward something on on Teams to somebody else. And these networks of communication are now visible and they're embedded in a digital source and they're accessible to researchers in a way that I think if you go to a physical archive and, and you have letters or documents, it's much less the case. You still have it a little bit with, with meeting minutes and you see where they were distributed. So I think in business and management, there's been a lot of work maybe around things like topic model or looking at networks, but not so much necessarily on the content of that kind of information, whereas the historians have maybe always tried to go to the content, but may have ignored, say, the the network aspects of that. And that's sort of a a really interesting side where we, we were sort of arguing that for that kind of management and history research in the future, we'd really want to draw on both. We want to understand the context through the network properties of the medium, 
but we would also want to understand the content of what people are actually saying to each other. And um, yeah, I think linking that to oral history is interesting because oral history obviously as a tradition is older, but it's become so much more easy to do oral history. And again, we also felt oral history was a really important chapter that Valeria Jacquemin um, contributed simply because uh, in business and management, people do more interviews, but they don't necessarily do oral history. And that seems very odd that we see actually very little use of oral history in, in um, historical research and management. And Valeria has been involved with the big Harvard Business School um, research project on emerging markets, where they interviewed lots of emerging market leaders. And I think that's one very interesting project. But I also feel that oral history allows us to kind of research perhaps the kind of organizations and people that business and management and history has maybe not researched quite so much. And technology allows us now to, to make this easier, to make the analysis easier and to make the results more accessible, but also more reusable. I think there are fantastic oral history resources available in lots of countries, in national libraries and archives. Um, and some of these are with people who have a lot to say about professionalization or about running of business enterprises. And again, nobody in business and management necessarily taps into that because it's not an interview. It's it's a recording of an oral history conversation, which is not quite an interview. So there seems to be a lot of points to connect that are currently not being connected. Yeah, it, it, that's very interesting also because on the side of the um, corporate leaders or the business people that you interview, it's also sometimes odd to ask history questions. They they really don't think, I mean, sometimes they, they kind of struggle to to tell you, well, why is that really important? Like I did that 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, but once they start, you can tell, you know, they, they see it. It's like, okay, yeah, I can, I have all this knowledge that probably should be recorded this way as well, not only in records, right? Um, the chapter by Emily Bagnea about the case study approach, uh, which uh, she says is common for business historians, also makes important points about the positive aspects of combining context from the historians and theory from uh, management researchers. Could you say a bit more about this couple, this partnership? What are the benefits of the combination of disciplines and methodologies? So this is actually quite an interesting uh, approach as well, because um, it, it's funny, a lot of times we talk about the differences between uh, historians and organizational theorists. However, I would argue that there are as many similarities as there are differences. In particular, the focus on context. Um, context is an important uh, is important to both historians and to social scientists. Um, for historians trying to understand the context of um, the what has happened, the occurrences, and in putting together uh, case studies is trying to uh, construct a rich uh, context based on um, the historical documentation. Um, this is this is similar to what uh, organizational theorists will do with uh, with their uh, case studies, in that they're trying to build uh, a rich case or cases in order to understand a particular context. However, I think the results or the, the goals of these are very different. So the historian is trying to arguably tell the case study to get things right so that we can actually say, this is what happened back in the 1800s uh, and to use uh, some of uh, Emily's research, 
um, the, the shipping routes in uh, Liverpool. However, if you look at case studies from a social scientist perspective or an organizational theory perspective, um, the goal isn't necessarily to get things right. We, again, it, it's to understand and in particular generalize to a theory that uh, this is the reason why context and case studies are so important in organizational theory. So for example, what you want to do is you, have, you want to say, uh, here's a theory, we expect X to do Y, and here's the case study where we're going to see if this actually works. And if it doesn't work, then we're going to explain why this doesn't work and then help to build theory to then explain this context. So the differences are, there's one that's trying to get an accurate representation of what's happened in the past. Well, in the social scientist, uh, or while the social scientist or the org theorist is trying to understand the case, but so that the theory can be better understood and developed. Part three of the book is entitled Historical Practices of analyzing data and sources. Could you walk us through some of the practices and methods that uh, the six chapters included in this section touch upon? These are crit critical hermeneutics, critical realism, prosopography, and microhistory, and Foucauldian approaches. What we're trying to do is really to go beyond just the kind of sources and the, the types of materials you might use and to think about analysis, which I think for scholars in business and management is really important. And it's maybe something that the historical readers might be a little bit less familiar with. But nevertheless, I think the, the contributors to this section, again, have a diversity of, of uh, disciplinary backgrounds. And we try to sort of, again, open up the discussion by bringing in lots of different approaches that we believe will address the concerns of quite a lot of different people. So um, critical hermeneutics is one of the approaches. Hermeneutics traditionally is quite aligned with historical approaches. So Dan Wadwani has given us a really helpful introduction as to how you can practically employ it. Um, Alistair Much is looking at critical realism, which might really appeal to uh, people who are perhaps a bit more interested in what is in the sources, what do they say, and what can we say about it. But then we also go perhaps slightly to the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of approaches, where we look at Foucauldian approaches that have been very influential in history and also very influential in organization studies and ask a little bit about reading perhaps against the grain and understanding the, the background to, to some of the uh, creation of the sources that we've seen. And part of this is obviously work on uh, microhistory and prosopography, which in history has been very influential, but which has also in history been influenced by the social sciences. And in many ways, there's a lot of interest, I think, in management and organization studies in these approaches. But we also wanted to bring in the sort of guidance of how would historians tackle those questions and um, simply widen that whole debate as to what do the different approaches entail and, and how would you use it for your own research? So actually part four is also I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about um, this practice for management research and um, this I have to say was probably the, the part that was farthest <laughs> 
from all I've done <laughs> um, in my in my career as a historian, but it was uh, equally interesting. Um, but since we have Elena here and her chapter um, exploring organizational identity through historical methods, I think we should um, have uh, a section on that question. And perhaps a question would be how, you know, how do historical methods help researchers and practitioners too, right, uh, at organizations explore organization, one organization's identity and uh, through time or even just something that is meaningful or what why could it be meaningful for the organization today? Uh, yeah, thank, thank you. Now, uh, this is a chapter with uh, Pasquale Ruggero, and in this chapter we wanted to, uh, to show how historical methods can be used for researching uh, a phenomena that are very relevant also uh, nowadays, like organizational identity, and in particular how phenomena like organizational identity can be explored as uh, a living uh, collective phenomenon uh, through uh, researching the web of actors, uh, the size, the resources, the material objects, and the relationships that come together around this phenomena and uh, through which uh, the enduring distinctive and central features of an organization can be enacted over time and across a different time space context. And historical research methods enable uh, doing that and identifying the, the core labels and the reference associated with organizational identity, but also their fluid interpretations and their fluid enactments and meanings over, over time. So historical methods here can be used to explore this intersection between endurance and transformation that come together in the concept of organizational identity, but also come together in other uh, organizing phenomena, uh, such as understanding materiality and how this engages with sociality. And this is, for example, something that is further also discussed in another chapter by uh, Jean Mengis, Fabio Petani and Claudia Schultz, they, uh, they explore materiality uh, and they propose a nuanced perspective and research methods on how we can uh, research the historical layers of the material objects and space, so the lived experiences as, uh, and how this uh, can affect organizing processes. And in the chapter they propose uh, uh, a method that they call embodied microhistories on the move as a method for researching uh, the historical texture of an organization, um, such as, or, or even uh, a city, uh, by unpacking the uh, affective recollections of the past and they ha how they can matter in the present through researching the mnemonic traces uh, and how they are lived, also living the materiality of the, of the space. Uh, so I think that all of that point to nuanced perspectives into how research methods can be used to explore organizational identity or materiality or space, uh, this uh, phenomena, um, both looking at uh, uh, the stability of these aspects, but also their fluid enactments over time, their lived experience. Uh, so um, this is something that the chapters in this section try uh, 
to do uh, so uh, showing different settings and contexts in which historical methods can be employed in uh, nuanced ways. Thank you. Very nice. Um, still in part four of the book, uh, and this one is for Bill, um, author of chapter 27, which explores the use of interviews as a method for studying collective memory in management and organization studies. By interviews, you mean both individual and group interviews and also focus groups, uh, which was which for a historian like me usually is just one-on-one, -on -one, but um, that, that was very interesting for me to see. In this chapter, you're not only talking to organization studies, but also to collective memory studies. Uh, can you provide examples of this when framed in a historical perspective? I mean, how do you do, a, for example, an interview, a focus group for to know more about history or the past? In orga for organizational studies, because for again for me it's always been one on one <laughs> for our history, so I'm very interested on in that. And what are some of the guidelines, perhaps, that you propose for researchers to keep in mind when using these interviews when exploring um, collective and individual memories in organizations? Those are great questions, um, and I'm going to start by by approaching this to say that we're interested in how people are connected to each other and the relationality between the different people within the organization. So there is a distinction that has been made in the collective memory literature between collective memory, which is the collective memories of a group and collected memory, which is the individual memories, but then those each individual memories are aggregated. There's been some discussion whether um, interviews in particular, because these are focused on collected memory, can actually be a useful means of studying collective memory. Um, and our chapter is taking issue with that, um, that assertion that interviews can't address collective memory. And the reason that we say that is, is particularly because we are focused on the relations amongst people within organizations. So for example, when you interview people as a group or in, as a focus group, um, in a focus group, sorry, um, the, the goal is to encourage them to remember together. So to encourage them to say, oh, hey, Jim, do you remember when we did this in the organization? And then Bob will say, no, 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 we didn't do it that way, we did it this way. And then Alice will pipe in and says, no, you guys are all wrong, we did it this way. So the idea is not to aim to get at what each individual remembers, but it is to address how everyone remembers the organization or the events of the organization. Because we're interested in the collective remembering the process around that, as opposed to the specific memory. Like, in fact, actually, I think that the, that's a better that's also another way of looking at this, is that the unit of analysis isn't necessarily the memory, 
But what we're interested in is the process of remembering or forgetting. So that's where the, the difference in approach comes from. We're trying to figure out how it is people remember and how it is they forget as a group, as opposed to what they remember and describing what it is that they remember. So this is why we think that there's a, a difference in what we're proposing in this chapter, as opposed to what others have proposed in um, discussions previous, is because we the content is irrelevant for the most part. What is more uh, important are the processes that go into the development of these memories. And then what does that say about how organizations remember and how people in organizations then remember? So that's really the, the key focus for us. So to set up some guidelines, this is where you want to encourage people to remember together. So you put them in a group, you have them engage with each other as opposed to uh, separately. Um, but you could also then even do this separately, but then bring in uh, memories from other people to then try and stimulate and engage with the process of remembering. So it's not just that you're doing this alone, you're doing this as a group and you're remembering or forgetting together. Thank you very much. This has been a very interesting conversation. To wrap up and following one of the sections uh, of the book, what are some of the directions you think historical research in management studies is going to, is going to uh, go towards in the next decades? Difficult to say, because I think what our handbook really does is, is highlight that there are so many different directions that people may want to explore. So I think to some extent, everybody has their own sort of individual perspective on, on what they would like to do. Uh, I just think the book is trying to open up the conversation to include more diverse voices. I think what well, is really important that we get more research on and from the, the global south. I think with that needs to come a much greater diversity of methods. And that means also different types of sources, be they digital, be they oral history, be they accounting, be they multisensory, um, for us to open up sort of different type of historical experience that still influences the present day. Obviously, there's quite a lot of work around how history is being written and how history is being used by organizations, which is a really interesting debate. But I'm also wondering whether, you know, the, the question of how we use historical research for business and management knowledge, um, to me, I think that there's still an area where more work is needed and where I kind of feel that integration between historical research and management theory, um, we can do more in that space. Because I think um, in how far actually historical concepts and historical approaches to theoretical issues can actually inform the type of theorizing we do in management and organization studies in say international business and strategy and accounting to me i think there's still more scope for development and hopefully the handbook creates a sort of basis for for people to take these sort of debates further in their own research and within their own fields and disciplines thank you for listening to this interview the book with 
talked about today is Handbook of Historical Methods for Management and can be found at e-elgar.com. I'm sure you will like it as much as I have. And uh, please share this interview to anyone you think might be interested on the topic, the book, and also to perhaps become a host of the New Books Network to bring more on this topic to um, the podcast network. Thank you, Paula. So many thanks, Paula. And uh, uh, as a conclusion, I would like to say that we have been so lucky to be able to draw on the richness on this uh, fantastic cross-disciplinary collaboration for this handbook. And I think that this collaboration clearly shows uh, the possibility to establish a shared background and common platform for new insights into historical research in management, uh, which is what we wanted to do with this handbook. And I would like to thank all of the contributors that have made this uh, project and this cross-disciplinary collaboration possible. And many thanks to my fantastic co-editor, Stephanie and Bill. Thank you, uh, everyone. The, this was a pleasure. Um, I, I really enjoyed talking about the book and talking with you about our book. Thank you for listening again to the Economic and Business History channel of the New Books Network. My name is Paula de la Cruz Fernandez, and I am a host of the channel and also co-editor of the New Books Network in Espanol. Until next time.